Well, hello there, friends, listeners, visitors, and all other, I don't know, ear ticklers. <laughs> Jepabai here, and you're listening to The Fractured Brain. Thanks so much for tuning in. So it's Mother's Day today. Uh, I just recorded uh, an entire episode and was interrupted by some sort of storm warning, which makes me wonder what this is talking about because I'm looking outside and it's sunny as sunny can get, but it says we're storm warning. And But in, it interrupted the recording. And then when I went to try to figure out if I could retrieve it and keep adding, uh, just deleted it. So there it is. So I'm starting all over again. Ah, nonetheless, but happy Mother's Day if there is a mother listening. And uh, as I said on the other recording, it's strange for me because, you know, I've always seen uh, these these holidays as Hallmark holidays, you know, not real holidays. But they, they, you know, but being a parent myself, I do know that they hold some sort of sentimental value, I guess. And it's strange not having my mom to call anymore, uh, since she's been gone. And, uh, but I do have, uh, the mother of my children that I can, uh, spoil. And, uh, so I certainly made sure to get her a little something from me and Shiloh. And, uh, the girls went out and bought her, bought her, you know, they, they sent her some nice stuff via that disgusting company, Amazon. But nonetheless, they still sent her something. I thought that was nice. Um, and uh, I, I love it. You know, I, I, I messaged her because she has to work. You know, she's working today. And uh, I messaged her and said, you know, where do you want to go eat tonight? And, you know, the one thing I love about Helen as we grew up, you know, and, and, you know, especially first married and living in the ghetto and a dingy apartment and, you know, all this, you know, I, you know, Helen was never one for fancy meals. She just, you know, it's like that kind of stuff just didn't impress her. And, you know, years later, I thought to myself, well, you know, it's because we didn't have money. So she, that's why it didn't impress her. And so, you know, as years passed and especially, Primarily when I was working in the casino industry, you know, getting to go to these, you know, fancy dinners, you know, that I was able to comp or I was getting as gifts from, you know, my executive boards and, and different things. Um, you know, she would say it's wonderful meal, good meal. But, you know, if you offered Helen the best filet mignon prepared by Wolfgang Puck, which, by the way, she has actually had Wolfgang Puck prepare a meal for her uh they're in the kitchen very cool you know um but uh or you just offer a really good hamburger she'll take the burger any day it's so funny so when i text her today i was like you know hey anywhere you want to go you know just you know where do you want to go you know to eat and yeah she just puts out you know you know in and out burgers fine you know, I mean, she is, I mean, and, and she'll be screaming happy as if she's eating a filet mignon. You know, I mean, it's it's just so funny. I, I love, I'm perplexed about that with my wife, but I also absolutely adore it and love it. So, um, anywho, 
So again, happy Mother's Day. So uh, I'm I'm cracking up because I get the trend reports uh, from this company that does my podcasts, and and uh, the last episode, the Gibson episode, had the most plays I've had off an episode in the last six months. They were they they were all on that Gibson episode. It, it it's just hilarious. So um, and even more so. Uh, at a 98% completion. So, in other words, people start my episodes, but they don't always finish them. Uh, you know, we could see those analytics. We could see when people start and stop and or they just never, they don't finish it. And so, while like uh, Always Falling has like, n- like 9,900 views on YouTube, um, only 4,800 have all the way from start to finish. So from that one independent IP address. And that's why I love choosing, you know, reflect true values. Uh, so that way it doesn't look like, you know, I've got this massive inflated, you know, views. Um, and it's the same with the podcast thing. So, um, and, and but I mean, it's pretty typical to only have about 70 to, I mean, if somebody really likes your stuff, 70 to 80% completion, that Gibson episode got 98% completion. Just astounding. Uh, I thought it was very boring, but nonetheless, uh, I had a great, great episode to, to go over with you guys about some, uh, some of the stuff I've been studying with the, for the guidestones, uh, for my lyrical content, uh, just wrote a great song called The Same Bird. <laughs> and uh, it segues into another song called The Hunter. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. But people want to hear about gear. People want to hear about stuff like that. So I'm going to wax nostalgic and talk to you about the next thing that people always ask me about. And that's Amplification. Mesa Boogie. So I'm going to call this episode The Dance of the Boogie. And uh, I'm going to have to take you back. So now most of you already know my story. You guys all know parents didn't invest in me. They didn't really get me the gear that I needed. Uh, I was pretty much playing off my brother's hand-me-downs. Stuff that he wasn't using, he would let me borrow and use uh, until he... Either I'd just sell it for money or whatever, and then he'd just take it away from me. But Or he needed it back, or he needed to use it, whatever it was. But, um, so, when I was 15 and wanted to start a, a real band and, and started jamming with uh, our family friend and my brother's old bass player, um, Alan Bostwick, I was playing out of not a real amplifier, I mean, it was an amplifier, but not a guitar amplifier. And I'll explain. I I had a stereo system that my sister had given to me. And uh, it was two big Fisher wood speakers uh, and a Fisher uh, stereo component system. You know, back then, you know, when you had component systems that went in a little glass cabinet and, uh, you know, you had the radio and then you had the power amp and then you had the preamp and then you had the turntable. Yeah, it was that. So, um, but I, I, I just one day monkeying around, I, I realized, oh my gosh, you know, if I plug into this auxiliary thing, 
with a microphone uh, or with a guitar, it comes through the speakers. And so I just started doing that. And uh, I plugged in my distortion pedal and my flanger pedal and put it through there and, and thought, wow, it sounds pretty good coming through the stereo, you know, and it was a 100 watt stereo. So um, that was what I would play through. But when Alan realized I don't have an amplifier and that's what I played through as a, you know, a stereo system, <laughs> uh, he was like, oh, yeah, that's not going to work when we like go do gigs, man. Um uh, so you got to get an amp. So went to my went to my folks, and uh, like I said from other episodes, you guys know my father had a um, uh, an account at Downey Music Center up in Downey, California, and and so we went there, and I really, really had my heart set on a uh, on a Marshall, and so um, I had this Marshall. Uh, they had, of course, some Marshall half stack there, but they, you know, I was going to get PV at first because my dad liked PV, and the reason my dad liked PV is because they were made in America. At that time, they were, they certainly were. They were made out in Mississippi, and um, yeah. Um, so, but I wanted a tube amp. It was really important for me to have a tube amp. And, um, because, you know, I'd heard my brother, I'd heard, you know, other guitar players that used to jam with my brother and I'll talk about tube versus solid state. And, um, I just knew tube was the way. So, uh, well at that time, PV really just went into the solid state trend. So they had some used seventies PV amps like the deuce and there was another one they made that was really cool. Um, uh, they had used stuff, but see, my dad's deal with them only applied to new gear, not used gear. And uh, what it was is because the more there was more profit in used gear, and they didn't want to do the, my, the 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 deal that they had with my dad because it wasn't like my dad had a line of actual credit with like a finance company. He he just had a deal with them. Um, so. Uh, they weren't going to certainly let uh, something that would bring them high profit. You know, they, they'd rather let me or my brother take new stuff, you know. Nonetheless, um, <laughs> so I, uh, I, you know, I see the Marshall. And now the difference between this solid state PV half stack being 550 and the Marshall half stack being 1200 um, you know, this is 1984, 1980, going into 85. Um, you know, my dad was like, uh, you know, and, and again, my dad was hardcore made in America and I could see him wanting to say no, but he was, he was trying to be cool. Um, and, uh, but then he turned, he's looking at the amp, he's looking at, you know, he's giving it the once over and he sees made in England on the back and. Oh, that was enough reason to, to say no to the Marshall. So, uh, not needless to say, I, I left very disappointed. We, you know, left with no amplifier. Um, cause that was all they had there was, you know, Marshall, Fender, and, uh, then PV. And, uh, so, um, we, uh, we leave and then, uh, you know, I tell my woes to my, 
to my Helen, and just like I still do to this day, 40 years later, or almost 40 years later. Um, and uh, so she somehow, some way, you know, I guess just being an only child, she was able to convince her parents of things, but uh, she, she convinced them to finance an amplifier for me. And so we went to the Guitar Center uh, there in Santa Ana, and um, they got approved through whoever Guitar Center used at that time for a certain amount. And so I couldn't get a Marshall, but I could get a Randall, and it was tube. So I got a, a Randall half stack, but it, it didn't sound all that great, but I was just excited that, you know, I was getting an amp. So, um, you know, now I have this amplifier and I really have decided after a couple of months jamming on it, I don't really like it. Then uh, I'm looking in the recycler and a guy's like, you know, I, I want to trade my full Marshall stack. What do you got? And so I called him and uh, told him what I had. And he's like, yeah, that sounds great. And I'm like, he has a full Marshall stack. He's willing to take my half stack. This is kind of weird. But he came and it was legit. He had the receipt. And, but it was a strange looking Marshall stack. It was smaller. And what it was is it wasn't 412s, it was 410s. And so instead of 412 inch speakers, it was 410 inch speakers. Um, but, you know, fired up the amp, it worked and everything was legit and he was willing to do it. So even though I had kind of this strange mini stack, I, you know, it was Marshall. I wanted Marshall. <laughs> Kid, uh, you know, I was 15. What do you expect? So, um, so my bass player notices that I just turned the amp on and it's ready to roll. And he's like, wow, the tube, he goes, the tubes fire up quick in that thing. And he's like, what kind of tubes is it? And we turn the back around and there's no tubes. And I realize it's a solid state amp. And I really tried to make the best of it. But I think mentally I was already there, you know, oh, well, it's not tube. But I didn't really care for the tone of the amp anyway. Um, but, you know, I had to use it. I was stuck with it. So um, I told you guys I used to go to this place called the Fred House out in West Covina and or in Covina and uh man I used to just bug the crap out of the owner but he knew I used to ride a scooter for an hour to get to his place and uh you know I would jam in there for two hours and what I, I just used that time to play loudly at, to practice and um so uh, and, and I asked, you know, I'm really looking for this certain guitar sound and, you know, I'm hearing it on some albums, but every time I see pictures of these bands and what they're playing, it says Marshall, but it doesn't sound like the sound I'm hearing. And he goes, I think I know what you're looking for. And he whips out, uh, this used amplifier. He goes, we're actually becoming a dealer for this, for this company. Uh, he goes, but this is a used one that we have here. And he whips it out and it says Mesa Boogie. I think to myself, wow, Mesa Boogie, what a dorky name. Um, and I'm looking at the controls and I thought, oh, how cool. It has a graphic EQ on it, though. 
but I'm looking at the controls and it kind of looks like a Fender. And he goes, yeah, he goes, that's kind of the idea of this amp. It's like a hot rodded Fender amp. So I start playing it and I like it. I like it a lot. And then uh, the penny drops, you know, it's like, so how, how much is this? And he's like, $700. I'm like, Eesh. you know, it's like, just, I go, that's just for the head, not for a cabinet. And he goes, nope, that's just the head. Yeah, just the head, $700. And I go, and it's used. And he goes, yeah. He goes, but it's cool. You know, look who it belonged to. And I look at the road case that he pulled it out of. Um, and it it's, it's stenciled on there, John Elefante. <laughs> this is two years before I even meet him. Um, I'm like, oh, wow, that's cool. So um, I'm like, um, just jamming this thing, you know, and I go there for, I don't know. I'd already been going there once a week for probably seven, eight months. And now every time I go, I'm just trying to jam that boogie. And now the new stuff is in the cabinets, everything. And, um, and the guy's just like, you know, I don't mean to be mean, but you, you know, you're going to wear all the tubes out, you know, cause you're always playing in here for hours. Um, he's like, why don't you just buy this amp? And I'm like, well, um, I am going to go try to get a job. And he's like, well, what about your parents? And I'm, I tell him my story and he's like, Oh, um, well, and somehow, some way, I don't know if he just felt bad for me, if whatever, if God moved his heart or whatever it was, but he let me buy it on, you know, an installment plan. And he said, come up with $100. And he goes, and then you have to give me $50 a month. And I'm like, whoa, so this is a good deal. So I go home, you know, beg and beg and plead and plead with my parents. And then my sister gives me the money. Uh, so, yep, this is the same sister who bought me Diamond Dogs when I was five. And, and <laughs> I mean, yeah, she's always been there for me. My sister, Julie, uh, bought me my BC Rich Ironbird. But yeah, so she, she gives me the $100. I go and I put it down and I drive home with that thing on my little Honda Elite 80 scooter. And uh, it's sitting right underneath where my legs go. In fact, I'm riding the scooter in a yoga position. Uh, it's so hilarious. Uh, but I rode that thing and, and instead of an hour, uh, which it normally took me to, to get home, uh, it took me like an hour and a half because I was going so slow with that huge road case with that Mesa head in there. And, uh, so I'm playing the Mesa through those four ten marshals, you know, and, uh, it's just not sounding the same. It's sounding strange. But I just remember loving that tone, that Mesa tone, man. And um, then uh, I go to see, I go to see Striper at Calvary Chapel. And, uh, and now they're, even though they have martial cabinets, I see that they're playing Mesa Boogie Heads. And I realize, oh. There's the pro tone. That's what it is. So I just really, really became fascinated with Mesa. And then I find out later, yeah, oh, that's what, you know, Hetfield's using. Um, and that's what 
you know, a few different guys, you know, because the only people that you read about that that used Mesa Boogie was Mac Davis, you know, a country guy. Um, and then uh, Carlos Santana, which, you know, that's definitely not he's not a slouch. He's not like a trashy player, but he's not a metal guy, you know. Um, but yeah, so there's not very many people, but then when you start finding out the ends, you know, and you're, when you're in on the end, you know, people are using Mesa. So, uh, man, I do everything I can. And I sell that Marshall stack to that, that full stack to go buy a cabinet now. And, you know, I'm making a, that $50 payment here and there, and I'm doing what I got to do. But I've got the Mesa tone now. And uh, then we play our first show. And uh, I've got my Mesa rig set up. And, I'm, and, and people are coming by, you know, and like laughing. And it's like Mesa Boogie. You know, what pawn shop did you pick that up at? I mean, literally, other bands are like ragging until soundcheck and I start playing and they're like, whoa. Or like, what pedals are you using? And I'm like, I'm not using, I have a delay pedal and that's it. That's the Mesa. And people are just like, wow. And because, I mean, all you see everywhere are Marshalls, Randalls, and that's it. Um, but I just, you know, and some, some people using PV, but, you know, by the time we started playing the club network, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it was just marshals everywhere. And, uh, so Mesa just wasn't known yet. It was not, not for the LA street scene, not then yet. And, um, so I just loved the unique, the uniqueness, I guess, of, uh, you know, that I wasn't like everybody else. And, and so for me, it was just all about Mesa Boogie. Then, you know, the Mark III had come out. And so now I was like, oh, I got to get a Mark III. I got to get a Mark III. And I was just like, I got to get a Mark III. And because um, what it was is I had um, my amp was an old Mark I but had been modded with Mark II C modifications. Um, Elefante apparently had had it modded like that. So, um, so for all intents and purposes, it was a Mark II C, but it was, you know, uh, in all actuality, it was a Mark I. But, um, yeah, I just loved that amp. And it just growled and, sounded great had just wonderful tone had great clean tones too wasn't just a great dirty amp just it was a great 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 amp uh noisy noisy as heck i had to get uh a rocktron hush 2c then i ended up getting uh you know talked to mike sweet uh after a show one time and and, uh, you know, he, he said that he used the Furman PQ3 parametric equalizer. So, you know, had to find one of those and then um, discovered a new shop, you know, uh, when I got when I discovered that, that you know, because I finally found a store in town that carried the Furman PQ3. And um, yeah, and then 
discovered more things I wanted, you know, I just, it just, in other words, it just never ended. But, um, so I was just the diehard Mesa guy, you know, and, uh, once we got signed, um, I'd already had a Mark three and, and then, um, (laughs) I don't know how, uh, our manager talked, uh, our label frontline talked, uh, Mike McLean into, into doing this, but he opened an account with Mesa and just said, you know, let Jimmy buy whatever he needs. And, uh, you know, and then just use his royalties to pay pay the account off. And, uh, yeah, we were the only band on the label that had it. So I'd walk into Mesa Hollywood and just, you know, yeah, I want that cabinet and I want this cabinet and I want that new head. And, oh, man, that new studio preamp, that sounds cool. How do you power it? Oh, I want that. I mean, I was like a kid in a candy store, man, with, you know, with, with you know, after hours, you know, who broke in, you know, it was it was just such a dangerous thing uh for me to have but if you look at the uh <laughs> the 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 weapons of our warfare video the big wall of mesas you know it's hilarious you know uh that 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 was why so uh nonetheless i i was diehard mesa and from that point on you know glenn being the last one I I said, you know, every any guitar player who joins the band from this point on, you know, it's a prerequisite. They have to buy a boogie. And uh so, you know, George being that next guy in line, I you know, he he looked for every which way to not get a boogie because he didn't really like them. And he didn't care about the sound, didn't like the tone, didn't like anything, you know, and, and uh and and it's funny because I mean yeah when he was out of Deliverance that was it he he went back to Marshall and then Saldano and whatever he uses I think he uses Orange now and uh, and uh, the Kemper or something but uh, so uh, by '95 uh, I started noticing that other people were using. Now there was more people using Mesa. Uh, remember going, uh, we did a show and Tourniquet opened and, and Gary had a, a Mark IV. And I was like, oh man, these guys are using it now. It's like the charms starting to fade for me. And, and you guys know, obviously by 1996, Deliverance officially had disbanded. And uh, I gave up playing for for quite a few years and um when i got back into playing uh certainly couldn't afford that kind of a setup again and uh i had my explorer and that one my faithful white explorer that had been painted and raped and gaped and destroyed and everything else i don't know how many times over that pork poor guitar just uh, been tore up and beaten down and stripped down and brought back to life I don't know how many times um but um my friend who actually worked at Mesa uh became a a rep for a, a new company called Line 6 and talked me into you know this is the future 
So I started using a pod um, and uh, used the rectifier setting. And um, so I was like, you know, in a cheap way, obviously, you know, I was just like, you know, really talking up the line six, you know, this is 300 bucks, you know, you don't have to spend $3,000 to get that gargantuan mesotone. All you need is this, you know, that's 200 bucks or 300 bucks or whatever it cost. I can't remember. Uh, he gave me my first one, you know, he gave me my line six kidney bean. And uh, so... And again, uh, I recorded the assimilation album with the Line 6. It wasn't even a Mesa. It was just that Line 6, but with the Mesa setting. Um, and then from then on, you know, I just didn't really have any interest in Mesa, especially that, you know, now every time you turn on MTV and it doesn't matter who comes up, you know, Limp Biscuit, P.O.D. or... Uh, you know, who's that band, uh, um, that Can You Take Me Higher song? I can't remember. They, 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 they kind of a, I guess they're kind of a Christian band. I don't know, but, uh, I can't remember their name though. Um, anywho, they had Mesa's, everybody, everybody's playing Mesa. So it really furthered my interest away from it. I mean, it was like a complete detour. So I used everything else. And, and like I said, my, my career with deliverance was pretty much over, but I was, um, you know, recording here and there. And whenever I did though, I was doing it with the pod and, uh, cause I was convinced, you know, it's, it, it, it's it digital all the way, digital all the way. And, uh, the funny thing about it, everything since that line six has line six has put out i can't stand um uh, but i still like that kidney bean that 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 original ugly pod 2.0 i mean it's still a great sounding emulator to me uh over all the other ones i i don't know what it is i just think it sounds cool um so I remember uh, Deliverance was going to get ready to go to Puerto Rico and we were doing a bunch of different shows. It was for the recording of um, As Above, So Below. And, uh, you know, me and Phillips, you know, he was, you know, now Phillips is uh, a Mesa guy because of me. Um, but I don't really want to use Mesa. So I... I go and I look at some new amps and I see this amp called uh, <laughs> B-52. And it's basically a, a triple rectifier ripoff. It's a terrible amp. Uh, and uh, But I buy one of those and I, I tell him this is what we're going to use on the album. And he had just bought a Mesa uh, Road King or something. And, uh, and I was like looking at all the switches on the back and everything. And it had been a long time since I looked at Mesa. And uh, I was like, this is too confusing. This is ridiculous. And all in all, we ended up uh, recording uh, all the rhythms with that, uh, that Mesa. Um, because, you know, we recorded all the guitars over at Mike's house in California. But when I came back to Vegas, I re-recorded all my rhythm tracks with the kidney, with the, with the line six. So 
I was that dead fast against, I was steadfast against Mesa from that point on. So, um, and then that was it and didn't want to really do anything from that point on and, uh, musically. And then oddly enough, when I started, uh, making really good money by 2010 out in Alabama, the first thing I wanted to invest in was gear. And, you know, so bought, you know, my first Les Paul and then, you know, then pretty soon my second and then my third and then my fifth and my 10th. And, uh, the gear frenzy started happening. You know, every quarter I'd get a bonus check and boom, it would go right to gear. And, uh, and now I had every amp you can think of. I had a Bogner, I had a Shiva, I had a, a couple of different ones, a, a Shiva and a, what's that other amp called? Uh, Uber, Uber Shaw or something like that. Uh, I had two of those. And then I bought a couple of Vox AC30s and AC15. Uh, I bought a divided by 13 amp. I bought, um, uh, what was, uh, of course, Dr. Z, I bought a couple of Dr. Z amps and, uh, I mean anything and everything except Mesa. I was just like, yuck. I don't want Mesa. Everybody else plays Mesa. Uh, and it was so funny cause I was so loyal to them. And, uh, but then I had all this gear and I never hardly played any of it. Uh, if actually any at all. Uh, at one point, I clocked in it like 33 guitars, and I only knew how two of them played. I mean, I literally just never played any of the other ones other than the first day I bought them. And um, and some of them I didn't even play. I just looked at it and said, okay, I'll buy it. Um, <laughs> so, but I had all these amps, and great sounding amps, but man, I just really, really just was like not having anything to do with Mesa. Then we record here what I say. And Mike Phillip flies out and uh, he brings this thing called the fractal with him. He's so excited about it. And I admit to him, you know, that's pretty, that sounds pretty good. I go, it sounds as good as my, my line six kidney bean. And he gets all mad and, oh, oh, this is so much better. And the algorithms and yada, yada, yada. And he's just, you know, quoting the manual. Uh, But I'm just listening to it. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So we record all the parts for the album. And the minute he leaves, I'm like, I'm going to retrack it. And I was going to retrack it with the line six. And this time I decided, you know what? I want to go back to miking a tube amp. So... I have the whole array of different amplifiers there and I try every single one of them and they just, well, they sound cool. They just don't work. Not for me, not for what I do. And uh, because all in all, that rhythm style I developed and everything else, it was with a Mesa. And um, so... I call my buddy down at over at Elite Music and say, hey, I know you're not a Mesa dealer anymore, but uh, if you happen to come across, and he said, okay. 
And then I call the guy at GC and I said, hey, you know, I know you guys don't deal in Mesa, but if you happen to come across a used one, let me know. And lo and behold, three weeks later, I get a call from the guy at Guitar Center and he says, hey, I just bought, brought it. We just brought in uh, a dual rectifier combo. I'm like, yeah, how much? And he told me, and I don't know how much it was. And, and so I said, yeah, put it aside. I'll, 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 uh, I'll pick it up. And picked it up after the 30-day police hold, came back, brought it, and played it. And just kind of like hung my head and just go, wow, such great tone. And put new tubes in it and pulled out the last palm, just cranked it and just like, wow. This is great. And then went back and re-recorded all the guitar tracks for uh, Hear What I Say with the Mesa. Um, over there at the old Three Frogs. And, and uh, <laughs> I was very happy about it. I was very, very happy about it because it just was that tone. And... Uh, you know, many of you guys know once we moved to California um, and I couldn't get a gig uh, that we lived there for two years, basically off me selling all my gear. Uh, so all that stuff came in handy uh, <laughs> because it, it helped support us and, and helped uh, start Helen's soap company at that time. So, um, but yeah, so when moving here to Vegas and, and all the different times and all the different gear and all the different amps, it always comes back to Mesa for me. I try so many different amplifiers and have owned the best of them and some great stuff, great stuff that I, I'll never slag or, or say anything negative about because there's no reason to. They're just, it's just great great stuff but all roads lead to Petaluma for me uh, that's where Mesa Boogie's located in Petaluma, California I don't know what it is about that tone it's just a very rich, very meaty, beefy, creamy smooth sustaining all those buzzwords that us dumb guitar players use to try to attribute to what makes our guitar tones so great. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know what it is about Mesa. It just is what it is. It's always been a very good old friend to me. And it's just always going to be. And as much as I've tried to stray, as much as I've tried to and, and there's good stuff out there. Trust me. There's great stuff. But man, you, you got great versatility. Now, you want a Marshall tone, you don't use a Mesa. Just like if you want a Mesa tone, you don't use a Marshall. So if I want a Marshall tone, well then, that's when I pull out the good old fractal. And plug into that and get that Marshall-y tone. But for Mesa... The only thing that sounds like Mesa is Mesa. And that's just me. So, and I've owned 
probably every single model you can think of. And what I've been with as of late is a lovely little Mark 525. Just love, love, love that. Prior to that, I had the uh, Rectifier 25. And the Rectifier 25 is what I did um, the whole uh, Camelot album with. So, um, was with the Rectifier 25 with a tube screamer in front of it. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's just a tried and true formula. It just works. And uh, I don't know. Just, I, I guess for me, you know, Mesa, 212 cabinet, 57, maybe a condenser mic running through some Neve mic pre's interior recording interface and it's all you need that's all you got so yeah the dance of the boogie that's where it is so let's see how many people made it through this one if people even care (laughs) so again once again if there are any mothers listening or if your your wife's a mom and you know if your mom knows who i am that you uh, pay attention to this crazy man out in Las Vegas who uh, sings and plays guitar and, or at least tries. Um, happy Mother's Day to them from me. But otherwise, I'm going to sign off because I got to go pick up my mother of my children <laughs> and my wife, Helen. I'm going to go pick her up from work here in a little bit. So, uh Happy Sunday to all of you. Until the next episode. This is Jeppa Bai. You've been listening to The Fractured Brain.